I'm Charles Krausen, and this is Outside the Box, the podcast about retail and all things related. And today, our final episode for season one. This has been a remarkable journey through eight episodes. Want to thank you so much for being with us along this great trip. We have learned a lot along the way and look forward to returning to season two coming up in 2018. This has been an exciting season finale for you. It's a deep dive with Aya Badir. She is the inventor and founder of Little Bits. Little Bits are toy blocks that fit together sort of like Legos, but they are so much more. Snap them together and you'll get different combinations that can create electronic circuits that power lights, music, even your own customizable Star Wars droid. And of course, they are connected to the internet. And so the first thing we do is we design this experience we call the first snap, which is when you first snap the first two bits together and something happens. Okay, so we're going to get to more of that just a bit later. But what you need to know right now is it's nerdy stuff made cool thanks to Badir's vision of making engineering accessible to everyone, especially girls, and hopefully inspiring those girls to go into science and engineering careers. In fact, I know a little bit about Little Bits because my five-year-old daughter is a huge fan. So I was extra excited to meet and speak with Badir. We started talking about raising girls without limitations. We went all the way back to her childhood in Lebanon. I never even imagined that there was something that I couldn't do uh, because I was a girl or because I was in Beirut. I grew up, you know, with with Lego uh, and with Erector Set, and and you know we called them Meccano in in, uh, in Lebanon where I grew up, and uh, and it was just such a fun, creative, and educational experience that that it really helped me want to be an engineer. And uh, the way we think about it is these days, the world is no longer made of static buildings and static bridges. The world is fully interactive. Everything is responsive. Everything has sensors. Everything has a screen. Everything has intelligence. And so the building block of today has to be different than a static brick. And so that's what Little Bits is trying to do, kind of bring that same playful invention, education, experience to the 21st century for kids that are much more savvy, but still have the same kind of desires to play and learn. So a confession to you here, I remember growing up with Lincoln Logs and with Legos and building and, and erector sets were getting started. They're not nearly as, uh, as detailed and capable as they are today. And so when I see little bits now, I want so badly to be eight years old again. <laughs> You've really tapped into something to where not only are you are you sparking the child's imagination, but then they can see that imagination realized through actual motion. Do you think kids are different today than maybe they were when you and I were young? You know, at the age of two, we see them manipulating iPads, knowing how to uh, work around them and install and uninstall stuff and configure. Uh, they are used to using Internet of Things devices. They're used to, you know, being able to talk to Alexa now and all these things. And so they're very savvy. But the thing that I find frustrating is that a lot of their relationship with technology is one of consumption and one of being passive. And so... I believe it's a missed opportunity. Kids should be making things. They should be touching things. They should be on the floor assembling things together, problem solving. Uh, they should be creative. They should be making art. They should be making inventions. And a lot of technology around us doesn't allow for that. So what we're trying to do is continue to be very 
technologically advanced, use things like sensors and Bluetooth and programmable bricks, but make them still feel like they're um, they're about creation and play and kind of sitting on the floor, assembling things together. Where did this idea come from? Little Bits is a... Um, is an idea that really came from a very personal experience. I, I'm i an engineer myself. I have a, a background in engineering, and I was always um, feeling very constrained by engineering, that it wasn't creative, it wasn't playful enough, and it wasn't kind of open. And so Little Bits was kind of my experiment to uh, make it more fun, more playful, and more inviting to other people that are not engineers. When I was growing up, I'm I feel lucky uh, to have been brought up the way I did. I have three sisters, um, and my mom and dad were always extremely supportive of us. One thing that I later found out was a special thing is we never were treated like you know quote unquote girls, and so we didn't have girl toys. We just had things that we were interested in. So we had chemistry sets and electricity kits. And my sister got a camera when she was very young because she loved filming. And so we we didn't know that there was a concept of a girl toy and a boy toy. We didn't, you know, just play with dolls or dollhouses versus, you know, other girls don't get access to things like robots and things. So our parents were very much um, uh, encouraging of, uh, of interest that we had. Um, I then went to university and I did engineering. And there was about eight girls in a class of 88 students. And I realized that, you know, a lot of other uh, people hadn't been raised like I was. And so in part, what we're doing with Little Bits is trying to really kind of replicate this experience and say that maybe a kid is not uh, is not already in science camp. They're not already in robotics camp. They're not already leaning into tech savviness. But that doesn't mean they wouldn't be if you expose them. And so for us, if you expose them through a fun, you know, instantaneous experience, you start to broaden the pool. You get the kid that's not the science kid. You get the, you know, the young girl that thought that technology wasn't for her. I want to go back to something you just mentioned, eight women in a class of 88. What stories did those eight women share with you about their experiences growing up, their exposures that may have opened your eyes to a need to to maybe bring this type of of learning, education, and play to to girls at a much younger age? What stories did they share? I mean, it it was really, you know, eye-opening. You know, some of the uh, women in that class had to be really forceful to be able to get into engineering. They had to fight. They had to be activists. And when they were in class, they had to work harder to not be kind of discredited or, or looked down upon. And so it takes a, a very strong resolve. And so you lose a lot of people in the process. You lose groups that may not be um, as convinced that they want to do something and maybe were a little more casual. They end up falling out, even though they could have been incredible. And so I think we just have to remove this barrier of requiring so much resolve and so much work and the barrier to entry be so high because, you know, if you drop the barrier to entry, you're going to see so much more diversity, not just across gender, but across age, across ethnicity, across, you know, technical background, all sorts of things. Where do we start? But, I mean, putting, putting, putting feet on the ground, getting ideas into motion, where do we start? So this is very interesting. We've studied this quite a bit over the past um, couple of years. STEM as a subject is trying to gain a lot of traction. STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, I, myself, and a little bit, we believe in STEAM. So science, technology, engineering, art, and math. The acronym is starting to get traction. 
Governments are interested in uh, STEM ba- and STEAM-based jobs. Companies are hiring for STEM and STEAM-based uh, careers um, and proficiencies. And, and we're seeing a lot of demand in the market for these kinds of roles, even though uh, uh, graduation uh, rates are dropping in these fields. However, if you start looking at when those drop-offs happen, you notice that there's a very sharp drop-off of kids' interest in STEAM and STEM subjects around the age of 10. So it's really between 8 to 14 where you have the most impact to reel them in before they drop off. And so the sweet spot we found is about 10 years old uh, where kids start by being interested in science, they start by being interested in math, they start by being interested in robotics, but then suddenly they're either getting social cues or they're getting media cues or or they're uh, seeing uh, fewer role models around them and all these other reasons make them uh, start to self-select out of these fields. It's sharper for girls, but it still is happening for boys as well. Listening to you talk about STEM evolving into STEAM and that age range, 8 to 14, the sweet spot being 10, was Little Bits born of this research? Interestingly not. Actually, when Little Bits first started, it was for adults. So it was for designers and artists and hobbyists. That's initially what Little Bits started as. It wasn't for kids at all. But the very first times I started to take it out to uh, exhibits and lines and lines of kids would start uh, forming with them like snapping things together, asking questions, laughing, playing, showing each other things, showing their parents things. And I noticed at that time that, wow, like kids, kids are really taking to this. And and there could be such a huge impact in helping kind of the next generation at a young age. Um, So we refocused. You know what? We're not going to try to be everything for everyone. We're going to zero in. We're going to focus on kids. And we're specifically going to focus on this age range in elementary school because it's where we can have the biggest impact. I think there might be a stereotype that exists with people who have an expertise in engineering that they may not be as artistically inclined. You're an artist, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I've i used that term before, um, you know, not to mean it in any kind of arrogant way. I don't, you know, work as an artist now, but um, I really value uh, the artistic and creative side that I have and that people have. I find that the best engineers are artists and the best artists are curious like scientists and engineers. There's just there's a lot of symmetry and synergy and similarity between artists and engineers. It's about having an idea in your head, a vision. It's about being curious and learning new materials or new techniques to achieve that vision. Uh, And it's about kind of persistence and grit through challenges that you find during, you know, developing that vision. And and it's true for artists, it's true for developers, it's true for engineers, it's true for scientists. It's it's the same kind of grit and curiosity and, and passion that I think um, you bring to the table. You are an entrepreneur with Little Bits and, and the development of that company first sold, your first piece sold in 2011. Did you ever imagine being an entrepreneur and what are some of the challenges and opportunities you faced along the way there? I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant, to be honest, before I started Little Bits. Um, It was just, it was an internal drive to do things and make things happen. Um, And I later learned that there was a word for it. I still keep the bill of the first sale in the office. We have a, what we call a museum table. And that first purchase from Maker Faire for the first kit at $89 
is um, in that glass cube because it reminds me of how we started. And it's so that I never kind of lose my humility. Sometimes you hear stories in, of entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley that are arrogant or that are rude or that are bad to their employees or other people. And, and it, it makes me think, you know, if you'd remember how you started when you didn't know anything or you needed help or you uh, were trying to figure everything, everything out on the fly, like you wouldn't be you know, that that kind of obnoxious person. It's just, it feels impossible. By definition, entrepreneurs should be humble, I think. So, but I didn't, no, I didn't think that I would do it. I love it now. We see our, the impact that we're making. So it keeps you energized. We're in about close to 20,000 schools. We have global chapters and inventor clubs in, in over 60 countries. We have about 320 of them. These are organizations around the world that are running little bits of events and workshops and integrated them in their maker spaces or schools. Um, so when you sit back and you look at kind of this this kind of movement that we spurred, it's very exciting. It's very energizing. Why not Silicon Valley? You you went to school at MIT. You you taught in New York. You are conducting this interview with me from New York. Do you split time with the West Coast, or do you remain largely on the East Coast? I I go often. Our investors are in uh, San Francisco, in Silicon Valley. But my base is very much New York because if you want to make a product that is universal, you have to be in a place that's diverse. Um, and if part of your mission is to get more girls into tech, you have to be in a place that's diverse. If you, if part of your mission is to kind of open up access, you have to be in a place that's diverse. And so in New York, we have access to such a diverse talent pool. We have 20 languages among our team. We have 40% women on the team. We have people that come from fashion or finance or media. Not everybody comes from tech. And you need that diversity of thought to create diversity of experiences. I have a story for you regarding my daughter. She's five years old. Her birthday is today. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. Listening to you describe your childhood and the interests you had, how you and your sisters were. I do have to smile because for my daughter's fifth birthday, she is getting her first chemistry set. <laughs> but where this ties into you is we were recently shopping and going through the store and she saw the little bits R2-D2. <laughs> my daughter went crazy for that toy. She wants it. She <laughs> wants it badly. She wants it now. Uh, she has asked if she can make hers pink. And I've told her she can make it any color she wants. Uh, she will be getting her R2-D2 for Christmas because we can't give her everything for her birthday. But that <laughs> toy, it, it seems to have taken little bits to a different level for you. Tell me about the experience of working with Disney, working with Lucasfilm, getting that finalized and making it a reality. Well, first of all, I want to say happy birthday to your daughter. What's her name? Her name is Olivia. Happy birthday, Olivia. Um Five years is a big year, so uh, make it good. So last year, we joined the Disney Accelerator. Uh, myself and three colleagues of mine kind of packed the bag and went to L.A. and spent about four months in L.A. meeting with people within Disney uh, to think about what we could do together. Um, I would realized that we, you know, we were nearing an inflection point with Little Bits where we, had, we were talking to a lot of the early adopters and the kind of tech-savvy parents, uh, but we needed to break outside of that world. We want to really become global. We want to you know, become part of culture. And to do that, you need story. 
uh, and you need kind of a bigger uh, a, a bigger narrative to to tap into. And obviously, we're not storytellers, but Disney is the world's best storyteller. Um, and so we we joined the accelerator, wanting to explore different partnerships that we could have. We met with many of them, you know, within the different franchises and with different departments. And then we really circled Star Wars. It's not only everybody's favorite franchise in general, but it Star Wars itself has a, a lot of synergies with little bits. Star Wars is a story about problem solving and grit. Um, it's a story about saving the galaxy. Uh, it's a story about having agency. Um, and obviously the new Star Wars movies have a female lead character uh, because they want to get more girls into the franchise. And so there's just so many good things about it. There's a lot of technology in Star Wars. There's a lot of science. Uh, Rey herself is a tinkerer. So uh, that felt really good. And so we started to talk to the Lucasfilm team about what we could do together. And we had hundreds of ideas of things that we wanted to do. And the Lucasfilm team focused us on, you know what, start with the real fundamentals. What are the things that every kid will want to make? We created the Droid Inventor Kit, a kit that has everything inside of it that you need to make your own R2 unit. Um, the idea is that you make it from scratch, you build it up, you have all the accessories, all the plastics, all the little bits, pieces to assemble it, and the app is your mentor. So Ray is in the app, and she's mentoring you through your inventor journey. After you create R2, you... Uh, take him on these missions where you're controlling with your phone, with Bluetooth, you're making him drive around, you're sending him on obstacle courses, you're sending secret messages to him and doing all sorts of things guided by the app. Um, and so that's, you know, the play phase. And then the last phase is called the invent phase, which is where you invent things that are completely new. So we encourage you to go around your house and use household materials like cardboard boxes or cartons or feathers and make a droid of your own invention. And so that's where your daughter could make a pink droid, she could make a character droid, she could make whatever she wants because we kind of encourage that invention, open-ended invention process. The product is really resonating and we've had doors open to us that wouldn't have opened. Uh, and that's largely because we were able to, to have a, a real kind of compelling Disney product uh, or Disney licensed product. Do you still play, do you play with your products? I know you do. I, I do, I do. I, I, it's, it, unfortunately, not as much time as I would like, um, but um, it's always good to squeeze it in. I actually have, let me see, do I have some of them here? Maybe I can play them. You carry them around with you? That's great. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, I'll play this for you. I think it would be nice. I don't know if people can hear. We'll see. But um, so I have the bits in my hand. One of the things that we designed very deliberately was the first snap. So it's really important when you're working with kids. Kids have a very short attention span, uh, as I'm sure you know from your, your daughter, but um, if you have to grab them right away. So you have to get their attention and tell them you're going to be worthy of their attention for the next few hours. Uh, and so the first thing we do is we design this experience we call the first snap, which is when you first snap the first two bits together and something happens. So let me see if I can make that work. And that's the sound of the astromech so droid from, R2, from Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. So what I did is I snapped two bits together, a power bit and the control hub bit. And as soon as I snapped them together, R2 comes to life. So that's the first thing that you hear, and it's within a second. Um, so that, that kind of, you know, hooks them in right away, and then they can kind of embark on their invention journey. One of the things that I know, uh, because, and again, full disclosure, I grew up on Star Wars, so I would be what would be 
probably referred to by many as a Star Wars geek. Um, I know the sound of the of the astromech droid, the R2 unit, as you just did there. Man, that sounded bad. But anyway, I know Lucasfilm and Disney are both very protective of the Star Wars brand and and of their of their products. You said you had hundreds of ideas. Beyond the R2 droid, are there other ideas you guys may be developing or could we tease the possibility of other things in the future? <laughs> you know I'm not going to share that. Um, we have a lot of ideas. What I will say is that we are really invested in this relationship and Lucas and Disney are very invested as well. Disney is now an investor in the company uh, and so it's an investment on multiple levels kind of in the relationship and obviously in the business. And so we're 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 in it for the long haul. There's a lot of things that we want to do together. That certainly seems like a game changer if you have buy-in from Disney and from Lucasfilm um, with multiple movies uh, still in the offing for years to come. Uh, opportunities would be endless there. Do you enjoy what you do? Is it as much fun as it sounds? Yes, you did say it was a labor of love and sometimes it was very difficult and challenging. But do you really love what it is you do? I love what I do. I love what we make happen in the world. Sometimes I have to do things that I don't particularly enjoy. I'm not going to tell you I'm a big fan of doing you know, financial reviews. It's not my favorite thing to do. Um, you know, I don't love sometimes when you have to think about organizational issues and process and um, stuff like that in order to grow the company. There are things that I don't love doing. Um, sometimes I'll tap into the engineer in me and kind of get excited about the problem I'm solving. And so I'll find joy in some of these kind of process, uh, you know, type questions. Uh, but other times, you know, the, the the maker and creator in me kind of misses going back to that. And so I find different ways to do it. I I participate in community events. I give talks. I I attend workshops. I um, I play, you know, when I can. And, and I want to do more of it. That's something that I want to do kind of more going forward. But on the whole, I'm very, very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. I don't take it lightly at all. Uh, we're not even halfway there to the vision and the mission that we want to fulfill in the world. So there's a lot more to do. Knowing that part of that mission is bringing the idea of engineering to younger people um, for the purpose of education and entertainment and play and everything we've talked about through the course of this interview. I have to ask you, um, are you optimistic? Well, if I wasn't optimistic, I would, you know, pack up and go home. Um, so I'm absolutely optimistic. I think that's another strand of an of entrepreneurship that you have to have. Optimism is a is a key key ingredient. Sometimes even naivete. I'm very very optimistic because when you expose kids to the right kinds of content and experiences, they consistently respond very well to it. Consistently. In ten years of me doing this, less than 5% of the time do you have a kid that's not interested and walks away. 95% of the time, you get immediate interest from the kid and they start to get curious at different paces. Some of them jump right in. They're snapping things together. They're asking questions. They come up with ideas of what they want to invent. Other kids, they're, they go a little slower. They want to follow instructions. They want a little more support, but they still suddenly kind of their, their eyes open wide and their curiosity kicks in. And when they make something, they become proud. So this is not just because of little bits. This is because of the theory um, of learning through making and learning through play. 
um, it works. It really does work. And so I'm optimistic because we found what works, not just us and kind of a, a whole, we sit on the shoulders of giants that have that have come up with these theories. But as a society, we have found what works in terms of getting kids to want to learn and learn better. Uh, and now the challenge is how do we integrate more into classrooms and after-school programs and homes everywhere? And that seems to me like the easier problem to solve. The difficult problem is when you don't know what works. So what was your favorite toy as a child? And what do you think of the toys of today for kids? Tweet us at Walmart Today, again, at Walmart Today, or leave a comment in your favorite podcasting app. Also, if you like what you hear, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast will help others find the show. Thank you again for listening to this episode and for all of season one. We cannot wait for season two coming in 2018. So much to share with you then. We'll see you next year. <laughs>